Well, if you came today expecting a Father's Day message, you're going to be disappointed. So, some of you know this already, but some of you may be visiting. I tend not to do like Father's Day, Mother's Day, Memorial Days, some of those holidays, because inevitably, and I've sat where you've sat more often than I have been up here, is as soon as, say, Father's Day, all you mothers will check out, right? Or the kids, they'll check out, right? We all do it. It's human nature. And so to target that, again, I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's hard sometimes to stay focused if we're not in that role or that category, or it distracts us, right? It takes us away from the message. We start thinking about our dad or being a dad or a good dad, uh, bad dad. But I, I have a pastor who I'm still mentoring afar from New York, and he says, why is it so hard to come up with a Father's Day message? He's in that, that trap where he does that, and he goes, man, I'm having a hard time coming up with a message this week. And I said, you know why? Because there's not a lot of great fathers in the Bible. <laughs> they all failed at some point in time. Um, the need henceforth for our Heavenly Father. Um, not that there weren't some fathers there, but by and large, it's hard. And so we're not going to do that. We're going to continue on in our study in 1 Corinthians. And anyone remember what the kind of the overall theme is? Focus. Wow, someone's really good. Hey, hey, Michelle, I can see you all the way from here, right? Focus, right? Stay in focus. Uh, Ryan, actually, you even mentioned a little bit about with all the distractions outside, right? Our world is clamoring at a high rate of speed trying to draw our attention away. And again, they're not drawing our attention to God, right? The world has no inkling to go that direction. They want to take us away from that. In fact, uh, I even had posted this week, it's kind of ironic, I posted a thing about focusing on God's Word. Believe it or not, I even got some flack about posting that. I said, you know, I wasn't saying you couldn't focus on other things, but accused me of um, focusing on the Word. I was burying my head in the sand in a 2,000-year-old a a book. And I replied back, because it's a relative of mine, the, one of the comments, and I said, but that's where the solution is, right? God's Word has the solution for all the world's problems. Jesus is the solution. Again, so focusing on that is, is vitally important. And guess what? The church in Corinth had the distractions as well. In fact, it was a, a rough town. And Paul plants this church there with a lot of problems. And I'm thankful in many ways. I'm glad I'm not the pastor of that church, but I'm thankful, though, because we get a lot of good teaching out of that. Because quite often, to be honest, we learn from our mistakes. And so through the mistakes of someone else, we can learn and not have to go through it. But Corinth was a rough place. Some say it's like in the United States, kind of mixing New York City, California, Hollywood in that area, and Las Vegas and putting them all together. Maybe you throw in Seattle in there today, the way things are going there. But it was a mess. And the, the, it's a crossroads. It was a port town. So a lot of cultures were coming in clash. Um, it was heavily in the Greek philosophy. So there was a lot that came about that in that culture. Yet it was still under Roman occupation. But it also had a mix of people. There were Jews there. And there was people from all different walks of life. And so it was a good place to place a church, but it was a difficult place to minister to. And last week, we took a little bit in chapter 1. We looked at some of the things to focus there, right? Focusing on Jesus Christ. Focusing on keeping unity. Remember, Paul had to address him because the other part of focus is unity. Keeping a church body focused together. Heading in one direction. Focusing on what's important. 
Remember, this church was divided. In fact, they divided over something as important as baptism, you know, being baptized. And it wasn't on the act of the baptism, but it was who baptized who. You remember, right? Paul and Apollos and, and others. And then we remember we asked Chloe ratting them out and saying, hey, Paul, there's problems back there in the church and you need to address them. And so that's kind of where we left off on chapter 1. And it's still the, the theme that goes through this about focusing on the right things. And so we're going to dive into chapter 1 today, verse 18. I think it'll be up there on the board. Ah, man, these guys are good. It says, For the measure of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved by its power it is the power of God. I'm just going to stop right there because there's a whole lot in that one sentence. Probably could jump off and preach a whole message on that, but the message of the cross. And so today our focus is going to be on the cross, right? The symbol that we have in, in most churches, right? We should have in our churches, right? That focusing on the cross. It was a game changer. If you want to use some of the, the terms, it was where everything changed in history. If you're a dispensationalist, a lot changed with that. It changed our status. It changed our well-being. It changed who we are. It was our salvation through the cross. Interesting, Paul used the word, it's foolishness to the world, right? And I mentioned, the world around us and the culture, you try to talk about Jesus and the cross, it doesn't make sense. I want to talk a little bit more about that. The cross, in many ways, logically you want to think about it from a humanistic standpoint, logically, does not make sense. Does not make sense that, A, someone would die for you in your place, take upon your sins, and die on the cross. That makes no sense. It's not logical. Why would you do that? And on Father's Day, think about it. Our Heavenly Father sent His Son. Does that make sense? To go through what He went through. Talk about good fathers, bad fathers. That would be the, in some, logically, it would be the worst father. Right? Again, perspective from the outside world looking at it, it would make no sense for a dad to give up his son that way. To go through what he, knowing what he's going to go through and end up where he's going to be. Makes no sense. So I can get that. It, it is foolishness to those outside. And if you're not a believer, you don't understand the ramifications. It doesn't make sense. But, and I love this, this is a but, but to us, those who are believers, it's the power. It's the game changer. It's, right? The cross is a defining moment in our lives. Again, we need to just keep focused on that, not forget that, that is important. I've said it many times that, if we expect the unbelieving world to act like believers, we're going to be disappointed every time. It's a true statement because they don't have the equipment. They don't have the tools. They don't have salvation. It makes no sense to the world. And if you can think about it, some of you have been saved maybe later on or as a kid, but think about it. Before you came to that cross, did it make sense to you? Was your salvation logical? Were you just naturally that way? No. 
We were sinners. We needed someone to pay that price. That's the power. Again, there's a lot there with that. But focusing on the cross is the main theme here in this passage today. And again, we need to, as believers, stay focused on that. Remember that our salvation is through Jesus Christ. Verse 19 says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has, God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased, though, through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Paul kind of goes off here on a little bit of a rant, but again, culturally, philosophers had high standing. They were, they were well-respected. Philosophy. And again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with philosophy, but you've got to be careful keeping it in its rightful place. And again, we look to experts quite often for things, right? You know, any news media, right? They, they bring in an expert from some area, where, wherever that area of walk is. No, they're quite... But are they always right? No. No, they're quite often wrong, right? Uh, one I think of right off the top of my head, think of politicians, Right? They may be the philosopher of that day. Politicians, are they always correct? No. Do they have everything? Are they, are they looking at it through a biblical view? Or are they looking through a worldview? What about the weatherman? I'll use that. I'll pick on someone that, that's not right very often, right? And you know what? It seems so the more and more technology they have, the less and less they get it right, right? It's one of those professions where you can be wrong and still have a job. I, I don't know what that's like, but, it, but it's hard. It's unpredictable. They're not in control of it, right? God often makes them look foolish, right? Oh, it's going to be a beautiful day. And no, it's raining and lousy. Right now it's nice out, but again, it can change at any moment. God makes them look foolish. Have you ever tried making plans to do something? Like a cookout and you get everything ready, you look at the weather forecast, you kind of keep checking it day by day. It looks perfect. It's going to be beautiful during that window of time. And all of a sudden, a thunderstorm rolls up, right? And kind of ruins it, cancels it. Wind, right? Well, the weatherman said it was going to be nice. He predicted it. No, God makes it look foolish. Um, wisdom was revered. And again, I'm not saying it's not wise to, to, to gain wisdom, to study and that. But we have to be careful because sometimes that can become a distraction as well. Remember, we used to live near Word of Life, which is a Bible college, and be working with the students here. And we, PJ and I were in kind of a unique situation. We had gone through the Bible school. We did it in Europe, but we had come back to the States, and we were here. Um, we were part of the organization, but we weren't part of it, if that makes sense. We weren't staff. We, weren't, we had no authority. We were just that couple who knew what it was like to go through as students. And so we'd be like mom and dad with a lot of these students. And they inevitably would start to struggle with they're studying the Bible day after day in Bible school, and they're working through it, and it was losing some of its, its glory. And they're like, well, we want to understand every detail of it, that hunger for wisdom. And in some ways, the, the more you study, the more you realize you, you don't know. And, you, and there are some questions in the Bible that just aren't answered. They're left open. Again, that's where faith and trust and 
And so sometimes our wisdom will even fail us. Have you ever tried to share the gospel with someone who's very intellectually wise, right? Someone that's not open to it. To be honest, that can be some of the most hardest people to see come to Christ. Because actually their intelligence gets in the way. Remember what I said, the gospel doesn't make sense. It's not logical. And so we have to be careful with that. We have to be careful with the wisdom and where we take things from. And I think some ways you have it tougher today in many ways than they did there because information is at our fingertips, right? right? You could, I can throw out a question and you could type it in, figure it out, get it back, or text it in, or Wikipedia, whatever. Your thumbs work faster than my mouth works even. And you could find out the answer to something, right? We have so much information. Problem is, the information's not always filtered for us, right? It's not always correct. It's misinformation, or it's an opinion, or it's a jumping off another place. And so to, to, to bring that back to and focus, and to study God's Word ourselves is what's really important. And we need a lot of help with that. So Paul's pointing that out. And again, that's a problem of that day because wisdom was so revered. In fact, he starts to identify some of the groups. He says in verse 22, he says, Jews demanded miracles, miraculous signs. The Greeks looked for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jew and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than the man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Again, Paul's talking to a very mixed group here, a mixed church. Two polar opposite people, right? Jews and Gentiles, right? Guess what? They didn't always like each other. I'm just, just putting it out there. They certainly didn't agree. Their, their backgrounds didn't help them. They were opposites. Yet, they're together in a church body, trying to wrestle under persecution, under some pressure, trying to wrestle with God and Christ and what does this all mean and how does this work out? Jews looking for those signs. They, they needed that sign to show them that it was from God. They needed proof. They were probably the skeptics of the skeptical. And again, they have all their history, right? They, they have all the, 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 the background. Hey, we're the chosen nation God loves us. The Messiah is coming. And then Jesus comes, and as you know the story, some accepted that, some did not. And so they struggled with that. And, and now, because Jesus and because of the cross, everything's changed. I sacrifice why it would be a stumbling block for the Jews. Think about it. You, you have all those holidays to remind you, all those sacrifices, and now all of a sudden, wait a minute. You're saying I don't have to sacrifice anymore? I don't have to do that? He really is the Messiah. And again, he's not the Messiah they thought he was going to be, remember? They thought he was going to come in on a white horse and rescue them from the Romans. The Romans are still there. The Romans are still occupying the territory. There's still many of them in slavery. The cross is a stumbling block for them because it changed everything. That's tough. That's a big change for them. Now, in some ways, the Gentiles have a little bit easier, right? 
again, as an unbeliever, yeah, the cross doesn't make sense. But then as a Gentile, all right, the cross, I'm a believer, I'm saved. But now they can identify with the Jews. And they're like, wait a minute, Jews and us, we don't, we don't agree. We're, we're not the favored ones. Now you're saying we're equal? We're together? See how that causes conflict as well. And again, Paul wants to keep this group united, which is the purpose of the church, is staying united. So he's helping them, hey, focus. Focus on the cross. You've got to put away your preconceived ideas, your, your thoughts in the world, and come together. And stay focused on the cross. And so there's this battle going on um, internally. And again, they want to do everything in their own strength. It talks about here in the last verse. It says, now, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Talk about a, a focus point. It's always good to remember that we need to focus on where and who God is, right? God is here. We're not, we're not equal with God. We're not the same as God. We're not God. You say, well, Charlie, I, I, that never happens. I never, never put myself in the place of God. Really? Thought about this. I, again, maybe you don't, but I, I know I do. Have you ever made a decision without checking with God first? Yeah. Right? Well, so I'm saying then that I don't need God for that decision. I got, I got this, God, right? I'm putting myself on the same level with God. No, I got this. By the way, I'm usually in trouble when I start down that path. And, and I am wrong from the beginning and usually in, all the way through and to the end. Right? When we don't consult with God, we're, we're, we're not putting God in his proper place. We're not focusing on the right thing. When we think we don't need God... When we don't worship God, we're not putting God in the right place, right? Because really, if we're not worshiping God, then who are we usually worshiping? Right? Worshiping me. But loving ourselves. We don't have a hard time loving ourselves. That's not the hard part. It's loving others and loving God. But loving ourselves, uh, I know for me, like I said, I'm very selfish. That's, a, that's an easy one for me. And then in strength, talks about this at the end again, God's strength. All right. Let's go on. I've meddled enough. I've kind of hopefully pricked you a little bit. Not an easy message. It kind of humbles you in many ways, but sometimes we need that as well. Verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. I love this, these couple of verses. This is, is hope. It's hope for the foolish things, right? Hope for us, right? There's not many of us from noble birth and, and from great backgrounds. How many times in the Old Testament do we see God over and over again use someone who wasn't quite the best, who didn't fit the mold, I mean, it comes to mind, King David, right? That's a great example. Was he the one that was... No, he wasn't even there when they were picking the king. They had to go get him because he was out in the fields. He was the youngest. He wasn't the oldest. He wasn't the best looking. He wasn't the tallest. He wasn't the strongest. Right? Over and over again, we look at God uses those things that we, wouldn't, we would overlook. We were looking for qualifications or things 
that, oh, this person's going to be this great influential person. He's, gonna, he's got it all together. He's an eloquent speaker. He's got education. He's got all those things. Quite often, those aren't the things that God uses in our lives. He uses those people that we may not even recognize or even see. Think back even in my own life. Men that have influenced on me have not been the pastors or great speakers. Now, they've had some influence, but it's been guys that have been just, from all extents and purposes, just ordinary guys. Guys that just work regular jobs, just humble lives. But they had great faith. They had great, that God used them mightily. And so it's, a, it's encouragement because God can use those things. We don't have to have it all together to be used by God. So again, I take hope in that. In my case, a poor little country boy from Skowigan, Maine, is sitting here this morning and being able to, to worship with you. Um, humble beginnings. It's a good thing to remember, right? It's a good thing to have in the back of our minds. He wants to use those simple things. Reiterates that again. He says, He chose the lowly things of this world and despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Kind of confusing, isn't it? Verse 29 says, And so that no one may boast before Him. Again, it's a position place, right? chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, right? God uses people. He wants to use people, and it doesn't matter your standing, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter where you came from, he right? wants to use you. Those are the people. If you look at his disciples, right? That was a motley bunch of guys, it certainly wasn't the 12 people that you would have picked to be on your team, right? I, he liked fishermen. I, I get that. I understand why he had them on there. Fishermen were a rough crew. They were not the, not the brightest, not the best. They, they smelled. Hopefully they smelled the fish, but they smelled, period, right? But those aren't the people that were thought well of. You used a tax collector. We know some of the backgrounds of some of the guys. We don't know all of them, but he used the tax collector, one of the most hated, despised people. He used them. Paul understands it. Paul, he used Paul. Does Paul make sense that God used? Yeah, don't forget. You know the story of Paul, right? He was, he was one of the wise guys. He was one of the ones that was in the inner circle. He was one of the, the guys that was in the, in the temple. He was doing that work for God. In fact, he was really good at it. And when he started persecuting Christians, he was really, really good at it. In fact, he was willing to run out and go get them. He had no problem. Hey, if I can't find them here, I'm going to go run to the next place and, and go find them. He had that little trip there on the road to Damascus, right? Some of you know the story. Life-changing moment. Take someone in that position, in, in that vein, turns them around and makes them most likely one of the greatest missionaries that we read about in the, the New Testament, one that's writing this letter. So Paul gets it. Paul knows how God uses those things. It nullified, nullified all his education, nullified all his, his work. And he said, hey, can you even use me in this circumstance? And then don't miss this here at the last end of this. And 
again, this chapter runs into the next chapter, but, and we'll hear a little bit more next week. I'll expound on a little bit more. But verse 31, it says, Therefore it is written, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let him who boasts, boast, him, boast in the Lord. All right? Give God the glory. Give God the credit. Boast in God. Christ did this in me. Again, it's a good practice for us as believers. Put that focus. Right? But it's also a humbling statement. Right? right? It's a humbling statement in many ways. Because if I'm giving God the credit, what am I? I'm not taking credit for it. It's not me. It's not what I did. It's not my own strength. It's not my own wisdom. It's not my own education. It's not my own... No. It's what God's done through me. I've taken some faith steps, but really it's God's done that. He's put the step in front of me, and He wants to use us. But we need to be humble in that. We need to be willing to submit to God and what He has for us. So there's a lot in this chapter, and I would encourage you to go back and read it this week, because again, we kind of picked through it, and I kind of jumped around a little bit, but, but read back through it and read the richness in it. And this morning, as we, we, we want to continue that, that focus as a church, but we also, as individuals, want to focus on the cross. And I, um, I've been reading a book on being a servant of God. It's an older book. It's been out. It's been revised a couple of times. It's by Warren Wearsby. And um, I found this quote this week, and I haven't been able to get, get out of it. And our poor elders had to listen to me say it again this week, and I posted it on Facebook. It's one of those quotes that's just kind of grabbed me, and I've wrestled with it all week, and um, I've marinated on it um, a lot. But it says, ministry takes place when divine resources meets human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. Think about that for a minute. It should be up there. Yeah. Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs. It says, we leave here today the glory of God. It's a great focus verse, and it's a great focus as we leave here today, right? As you run into people, as you meet people, right? they may have a very real and pressing human need, but what they need most is a divine resource, right? They need Jesus. It's not wrong to meet that human need, but don't neglect the cross. Don't neglect giving them what they really need. And again, to God's glory. Bow with me, please. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reminders in your word. We thank you for those who have gone on before us, Lord those you've used in our own lives to speak truth into us, to encourage us. Lord, we're thankful that you use those things that the world looks as foolish. But you have great worth, great value, and you place value on that. Lord, may we never lose sight of the cross and the importance of that, the importance of our salvation. Lord, may we be quick to share that with others. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.